everyone, I'm Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. For this episode, we traveled to Seattle, Washington, to meet with the co-founders of Southeast Asia's dominant ride-hailing business, where they've set up a new office to grab some of America's top tech talent to boost their engineering remotely. It all started at Harvard Business School with a $10,000 check, the prize for runner-up in a business plan contest. Today, Grab is one of the largest tech startups in Southeast Asia, changing the face of ride-sharing across the region. Amidst increasing competition from Uber, Gojek, and more, Grab has driven a steady course, expanding to seven neighboring countries, eventually acquiring Uber's Southeast Asian business, adding Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi to the board, and raising billions from SoftBank's Masayoshi Son. This as Grab shifts into high gear, set on becoming a super app that offers not just rides, but healthcare, payments, food delivery, hotel bookings, plane tickets, and more. On this edition of Bloomberg Studio 1.0, I sit down with Grab co-founders Anthony Tan and Huiling Tan. Let's start at the beginning. You met at Harvard Business School. How did you two find each other? Actually, it's really interesting. The first year we were in business school, we were in different classes. So the only times we met were when we were looking for Asian food. It was actually only in the second year that we started to really get to know each other because we both serendipitously ended up taking the same class called Business at the Base of the Pyramid. Over that semester, I discovered that this guy is the hardest working guy ever. I was so glad he sat next to me because I was constantly taking his notes for class. Yeah, she, she didn't do homework. Uh, I did the homework and she copied my homework. Are you okay with him saying that? <laughs> Completely fine. It's the truth. Everybody knows it. Okay. You're from a big auto family mm -hmm. in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Did you know who he was? I knew of his family. I didn't know of him personally. And to be honest, when I first discovered that he was the son of Tan Chung Motors, I wasn't particularly keen on getting to know him too much better because I had a bad conception around, you know, rich families, their kids, they're not particularly hardworking, not necessarily always the nicest people. And are you okay with her saying that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, she's not too far from the truth. Um, at one point, you know, I, I, I would imagine a long time ago, I, I've been in those moments where I haven't been the, the most empathetic person and I think over time, uh, learning how to, you know, have uh, where I had to pay some of my own school fees, I had to go through work, uh, do my own things. I worked in a factory, mm. worked on the ground, uh, you know, assembling cars, uh, going in a bus at 4.30 in the morning uh, with our own teammates uh, assembling cars. I think those experiences humbled me and taught me a lot and life's lessons. And then by the time I got to HBS, thank God, that was when I was also a more grown up. Your grandfather was the founder of Tan yes. Chang Motors, which is yes. a car company in, right. in Malaysia. Your father is the CEO. That's right. And you were working in marketing. That's right. Um, so first it was actually supply chain. So okay. I ran supply chain. So from parts assembly, making sure all the parts were coming from all across the world, uh, making sure it gets assembled nicely, with a high quality standard. How about you, Ling? Um, grew up in a very typical middle-class family. My dad was a civil engineer, my mom a stockbroker, reminds you. And to be honest, it was what you'd expect any other family to go through, public schooling in Malaysia. Uh, I learned everything in Bahasa. So I only really picked up English very well. 
um, when I went to undergrad in England. So tell me how you get to HBS, you meet each other. How is Grab born? Over conversation. So going back to the class that we sat next to each other at, it was a collection of cases of how to build sustainable businesses that have double and triple bottom lines. You know, whether it's in healthcare, whether it's in CPG, we learned so much. It's because of those great cases that sparked our mutual interests, automotive industry, my terrible experiences taking taxis in a very unsafe environment in Malaysia, that we realized that the smartphone mobile revolution that was happening could actually potentially unlock a problem that many had tried to solve before, but had not successfully done so. This was a couple years after Uber had launched. How much was Uber sort of a blueprint? It was very different. Um, it was black cars. It was you know, everyone can have its private driver. Uh, ours was just, hey, how do we make sure that women like Ling uh, have a, the best safe alternative out there and in a very affordable way? So if you were to Google world's worst taxis seven years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the top hit for the first page or two would have been Kuala Lumpur, which is Malaysia's city capital. Mm. That's the environment we grew up in. Even worse, the moment I became an adult, I was working late at McKinsey. So there was no real alternative. I couldn't drive myself home because I would fall asleep by the car. It was late nights. My mom and I developed a manual GPS tracking system. So back then, we were during the Nokia good old phone days. No smartphones, no GPS tracking. And I would literally text her the car number plates, the name of the driver and the license that, of the car and taxi I got into. I would text her whenever I hit any of the major milestones of landmarks that we would pre-agree on so that she, she would know if I was 15 minutes away, mm. seven minutes away, or just around the corner. Because every single night, she would sleep in front of our couch, something that looks like this, waiting for me. Mm. So you launch. At what point do you realize this is going to be big. We never thought that this would be, um, it, it's a miracle, uh, I'll be upfront, that where we are. That's your mom right. was your exactly. first VC, right? Exactly. My mom and I, we put in everything we had, and I don't think we ever imagined it'll be the company it is today. Yep. Talk to me about those early days growing the company. It was tough, uh, really tough. We would set up a table, a plastic table, uh, that probably cost two US dollars, right by the drains of the monsoon drains beside gas stations. Um, because they would come, uh, taxis would come by gas stations. So we would say, hey, uncle, you know, give us a shot. And then we'll give you like some nasi lemak, which is like a, like a rice or like, or like a breakfast rice or a, a little drink um, that cost 20 cents. And then if they didn't have a smartphone, we would, you know, we, we flew to a few OEMs and, and we talked to some OEMs to subsidize some phones for us in wow. the beginning because we just couldn't afford smartphones. And then whether it was in Singapore or Jakarta or wherever, literally window by window knocking, window by window going, uncle, uh, while they're lining up, whether it's an airport or by a gas station and convincing them one by one. Listening to my conversation with Grab CEO and co-founder Anthony Tan and COO and co-founder Huiling Tan. Up next, Grab versus Uber, a story of street battle turned friendship. I'm Emily Chang. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0.
By 2014, you'd expanded to the Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam. Tell me about what it was like getting into these different countries. One of the first few things we always did was look for the best local leaders. Uh, folks who, like ourselves, knew the different countries that we'd spent time in growing up and loved called home uh, to kickstart operations. And what about city. local lawmakers, regulators? I mean, we've seen ride-sharing companies run into red tape around the world, and yeah. I'm sure there were some people who weren't too happy about what oh, you were doing. Oh, for sure. There's a process where tech companies think that, hey, you should just go ahead and shoot and then ask for forgiveness later. Um, at least in Asia, again, because I came from a family business that really worked to the government to build, to get a, you know, a, a license to build a factory. Mm -hmm. um, so we understood that you have to walk that journey with our government partners. Mm. So is this like the anti-Uber way of doing things? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Yeah. This is a very grab way. And, you know, I think the both of us, we grew up in an environment where we, we wanted to solve a problem together with others. Because mm. Asian, call it the Asian heritage, right? We're, we're generally more collaborative. It's the way that our family teaches us to, to work with Confucius. each other. It never struck us to take an alternative approach of going in and saying, we know better than you. Follow us. In Thailand, as I understand it, ride sharing is still illegal, but you operate in a sort of gray zone I, I, there? I, I guess how I'll put it is they, we work very closely with the Thai government and many of the governments to find ways to serve the people better. And whether it's formalized or not formalized, we focus on serving the people. So, what is Grab today? It's not just a ride hailing app, Thank it is you. so much more. Thank you. Tell me about the super app vision. After six years of building this together with the people of Southeast Asia, we were able to start working together with Uber as partners once we acquired the Southeast Asia's assets. Uber was struggling in Southeast Asia. So Uber had a great campaign. Um, so on-demand Uber ice cream, right? So uh, we, first of all, didn't think that that would fly as well because one, it's very, very hot in the region. It melts and getting slushy ice cream ain't fun. Um, so what we said was, hey, you know, what do Singaporeans, Malaysians love, uh, Thai, you know, what do they really, the king of fruits, the durian. In over 30 days, we sold 25 tons of durian, making us the biggest durian seller in Singapore. Uber doesn't give up easily. What happened? How did you end up buying their ride-hailing business? I would start with, it makes a big difference uh, who's on the driver's seat, right? I think number one, we both had tremendous respect for each other. Two, Dara just came in. He said, look, guys, it doesn't make sense to just continue you know, having this street fight, uh, literally city by city, or does it make sense to where one plus one equals 11? Mm. So that was when the conversations, obviously it was very secretive. Uh, you know, Dara and I, we met in San Francisco, away from the office, away from media. Mm. Uh, it was just uh, me and him in a private room. And then we started building trust that way. And, um, and we both agreed that was the best outcome for both companies. Uber owns 20% of Grab. Um, how much do you collaborate? How much is Dara so, Kazushahi, so, the CEO of Uber, really involved in Grab? So, so Dara is on the board. Mm -hmm. 
recently he's been quite busy, as you can imagine. <laughs> but you know, he's been uh, a dear friend. Uh, in, in many ways, we bounce ideas off each other, uh, a great director. Uh, we also have uh, Toyota on our board and SoftBank. Do you at all worry about giving away competitive secrets to the CEOs of a the big ride hailers in other countries? No, they, there's a non-compete, so they wouldn't compete with us as long as they're shareholders. So and you have no plans to expand outside of Southeast Asia? No. No focused plans. in Southeast Asia. And yet, so you Southeast do have Asia. offices in Seattle. We visited your offices in Seattle, which yes. is where we are. Yes. Any plans to expand in the United States? Nope. Is there anything that would change that? Nope. Why not? <laughs> we actually have an R&D center in Seattle, Beijing, and Bangalore. Mm -hmm. US, China, India. One key theme, great tech talent. Let's talk about the super app. This is so much more than a ride-hailing business now. What else, you're delivering food, what else are you doing, what else do you plan to do? We want to create a technology platform that can literally house multiple digital ecosystems and economies on it. And of course, today we now do food deliveries, as you mentioned, parcel deliveries, and a big underlying use case of payments and financial services. We now have multiple amazing partners who are helping us with things like healthcare, in healthcare, we have a JV with Ping An, Good Doctor. Amazing technology from China to help us enable more folks to get healthcare, uh, health services and products easily in Southeast Asia. We also have a partnership with Happy Fresh, where they do grocery deliveries with us. We also have partnerships with video, content players, games, and all sorts of other things that are in the works that you'll hear <laughs> of, uh, including you know, American players like Booking.com. Now, if you open the app in Singapore and in Asia, you'll be able to book hotels, airplane tickets, because we've been able to partner with these folks to enable their services in a matter of months. So you do have a competitor in your region, Gojek, which is catching up in many of these businesses and also claims they're a super app. How much of a threat is that competition? You know, the thing that we always look at is what our customers are saying. And good news is, since year one, we've always been the only regional player mm -hmm. and therefore the only regional super app in the mm -hmm. region. Clearly, the customers are choosing us. The Gojek founder has said some not nice things about you, and he has said, you were actually classmates at Harvard, mm -hmm. I believe, um, and the founder of Gojek has said, excuse me, you spend the first years of your life copying Uber and the next three years of your life copying Gojek. Yeah, yeah, he What's likes, your response? He, he likes drama. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think, I think uh, look, I respect Nadim. Uh, we both do, um, and we, we respect him and, and the company. Uh, and I think, again, how I always see it as, Look, we're in it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. um, at least for us, and I can't speak for others, are we here, is it just about creating economic wealth? We believe our raison d'etre is to serve Southeast Asian societies. Mm -hmm. And there's no other reason why we're here. So for us, it's always been about serving. Mm -hmm. Whatever our competitors say, it doesn't matter, it's noise. This is my conversation with Grab CEO and co-founder Anthony Tan and COO and co-founder Huiling Tan. Up next, in the midst of the US-China trade war, where Grab sees opportunity for future growth. 
I'm Emily Chang. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us. a huge platform right now. And on a huge platform, bad things can happen, will happen. Accidents, unfortunately, happen. One of our Bloomberg reporters got in an accident, in a grab, and she wrote about this. And she wrote that the driver left her, and she was badly injured. You actually went to visit her at home. That's right, that's right. And she's not the only uh, person. I I remember meeting a driver once who, actually on a motorbike, he fell on his own. You know, I went to visit, and I went to visit Yu Lim, as you said. Uh, you know, of course, it was a moment that was uh, very emotional for both of us, uh, seeing her daughter, seeing her family, going into the house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think for us, can we do more? For sure. Now, can we say factually, are we the safest alternative out there? Yes. Mm. Have we built even more features after that? Mm. Yes, we've mm. tripled down, if not quadrupled down. Mm-hmm. We have dedicated tech families just focus on safety. Mm-hmm. And we, right now, we can say undoubtedly, hand to heart, there's no one who has more safety investments in Southeast Asia than we do. So she actually confronted the driver. She found out sort of what the consequences for, for him were. He lost his ability to drive for grab, yes. correct? He was fined. She wrote down what she felt the accident cost everyone. She said, me, my left vertebral artery. She's referring to her injury there. Driver, livelihood, plus $3,700 in fines and expenses. Grab, $20, the refund they'd given me after the accident. How does that strike you? Both of us have spent time to try and understand what we could have done better, Mm -hmm. not just from that accident, but many others, which, whether they're small, Mm-hmm. could have been prevented or have been caused by external circumstances. We're constantly trying to figure out how we can make every preventable accident disappear. Mm-hmm. What are some of the changes? There is a big need to make sure that the drivers who actually are picking you up are the drivers that have been vetted mm-hmm. and verified with history and track record to be good drivers. Mm-hmm. And what we do with technology is make sure that, hey, every time they log into their app, they do a you know, selfie verification that's based on facial recognition to make sure that that driver is the right verified driver that's trustworthy and safe. That's one example. Everything we do has to be, and of course, you know, the case on safety you just pointed out, Mm. can we do more? Should we have done more? Mm. Yes. And the important part as CEOs, as co-founders, as leadership is to recognize we make mistakes Mm -hmm. and just put up your hand and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, forgive me, and I'll keep getting better. So let's talk a little bit about the money. You've raised a lot of money and you're trying to raise more. About a $14 billion valuation is your last valuation. Am I right? (laughs) In that ballpark. Where are you putting this new money to It's not just SoftBank. I mean, if you think about it, uh, in fact, the first three billion wasn't raised by SoftBank. Mm -hmm. It was raised from Toyota, to Hyundai, to Booking, to Microsoft, um, Ping An, Oppenheimer, right? You talk about the, you know, we're very, very blessed with sort of the global best names one can imagine. But why continue to raise money rather than going to the public markets? 
because of our super app ambitions, which now involves a much broader set of services for our customers, there needs to be additional innovation and additional investments. Mm -hmm. And those are the investments that our partners, they identify the opportunity and they're like, we understand, we want you to do it. In fact, they're encouraging us to go bigger, bolder and better so that we can just serve Southeast Asia more consistently. Tell me about your relationship with Masa. You've said that he's told you you can have unlimited capital from him. And yet I assume you're probably not asking for unlimited capital. No, that means unlimited dilution. <laughs> <laughs> Masa and I are extremely close and we're very blessed to have a mentor, a personal mentor and a friend and partner in this journey. But I will not right now need that capital or want that capital today because we have enough capital to invest in what we need today. So Ling, you recently told me you surpassed a billion dollars in revenue last yes. year, that you're on track to double that this year. Where is the growth going to come from? I think in terms of countries and regions within Southeast Asia, the biggest trajectory and growth area we've seen is Indonesia, and we're doubling and tripling down there as well. How far away is profitability? In certain markets we and certain verticals, it's actually already profitable. Mm. Now, for us, it's really important that we build and create more value, right? It's, it's very easy to say, hey, you're the most popular app, and then just be like, oh, chill, right? Or as opposed to, hey, we're the most single most popular app, but there's lots of competitors, so we need to make sure we deliver more value so that we earn the right of customers to keep keeping us as the single most popular leading uh, ride-hailing app. Uber can't say when it will be profitable, mm -hmm. and that has been a problem for yeah. investors. Yeah. Are you learning from that? It's, it's different. Um, it's, it's different. So first of all, Uber, majority of its business is ride-hailing today, uh, plus obviously a food delivery. Lyft uh, as well is ride-hailing. The, the point is, we see ourselves, our, our comparable is more WeChat, right, as a, as, a, as a super app. So will Grab go public? Right now, we have no plans to go IPO. We don't need to go IPO, hence that very big round. Um, for us, again, choosing long-term strategics, again, as part of our tech for good, working and co-nation building, is when we talk about nation building, it's not five months. It's mm. the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. Given the US-China trade tensions and manufacturing that seems to be leaving China and moving to Southeast Asia. Does Grab have a role in that? Is that an opportunity at all for you? What I can share about the States and China is that both regions are equally looking at Southeast Asia as huge future potential growth areas. I think everybody sees Southeast Asia as a region of growth for the future, and it's not short term. It's not for the next five years. It's gonna be for the next few decades, and that's the growth we wanna help drive and lead and grow for the rest of the country. We've seen many founding teams fall apart. There's blood on the floor. You guys seem to have a great working relationship. How do you maintain that? We've just had an amazing relationship because we share that foundational value system. We also share that passion and vision for what we believe we can contribute back to the region. And 
we do know that it's unique and hence why we cherish and value it even more. At the same time, we also know that there are many more opportunities for others like us to equally find the same passion. So we encourage it. In fact, we are helping back in the region. We've launched something called Grab Ventures Velocity. Mm -hmm. It's uh, our own accelerator program to help other startups in the region who are trying to do good, mm -hmm. trying to find scale, using our platform, using our access and partnership. We're trying to help them as well because we were able to stand on the shoulder of giants mm. uh, and we're hoping that we can help give them a little boost that they all deserve as well. Well, it's been a pleasure to interview you and to interview you both together um, and to see that working relationship. So Anthony Tan, Huiling Tan, co-founders of Grab, thank you so much. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bloomberg Studio 1.0 is produced and edited by Kevin Hines. Our executive producer is Candy Cheng. Our managing editor is Danielle Culbertson. I'm Emily Chang, executive producer and your host. This is Bloomberg. <laughs>